Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Amen. Amen. I don't know how your New Year's and holiday season was, but it was a blessing in our home. Family gathered, remembering how God led us in the past year, God's mercies for us, man, it's a blessing. But you see, the reality is, though, that it's not always the case for everyone. Some people experience death and remember the loved one lost. Some remember the blunders of their life and think in shame of what they've experienced. Some gone through divorce and families split and the holidays just aren't the same like they used to be. But the text this morning reminds us of a beautiful reality. Though we were those in darkness, how does the text speak? It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them this light has shone. For to us a child is born A son is given, and on his shoulders the government shall be. A little context for this. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah is seeing in a future vision a present dark reality they were in. The Assyrian army was truly bringing the two northernmost kingdoms or tribes there in Israel, hardship, darkness, despair, bring bloodshed, terrorizing their homes and villages. They were in darkness, I tell you. And it's there that Isaiah looked deep into the future as he saw the fulfillment of their despair would be found in a babe named Jesus who would bring light, who would end the darkness, and who would heal their land. In this time and place, it's interesting. In this context of modern society, some people actually believe that we're going to get into a bigger time of peace, that there will be a land of plenty, and it will be a time of ceasing of wars, and it will be a time when there will be harmony amongst the world's nations, and it will be good. Can I level with you? Have you seen the facts? We are not getting into a more peaceful time period. During Jesus' own time period, it was darkness. During that time of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, even then it was hardship, terror, killing, famine. Do you know that in Jewish and Roman Greek antiquity, the average age of a child would not last very long? No, because half of the children would die before they would even finish childhood. Even in Jesus' birth period, what happened? 
Herod said, kill all the little children below two, particularly the males in the Bethlehem vicinity. It was darkness. And you know what? It's no better now. Our planet is in chaos. Do you realize that a third of the countries in the world have an active war going on right now? Still in this world, half our population lives on less than a couple dollars a day. Little children still are dying from malnutrition and poor water quality. And if they live to being young adults, do you know that the average or the second leading cause of death among young adults and youth is suicide? One historian put it that the 20th century was the bloodiest century of all time, all combined. We are not entering into a greater time of peace. I promise you that. And so then the question is, what do we do till Jesus comes again? Are we to just lay in despair and darkness, waiting for death to be drowned, disease defeated, danger done away with? We have a little baby, 10 months old. She was dedicated on this platform last weekend. It was a beautiful celebration. But we have a thing that we do at our house, and I know some of you who are a little bit older are going to be like, oh, lightweights. My goodness. We have a camera in her nursery so that we don't have to go and see her and wake her up and startle her. We just turn on our phone. Someone at first service looked at me. We'd have to go every time into the room and see what was going on. New generation, new time. Sorry. (laughs) And you know, sometimes in the middle of the night, in the darkness, she just gets up, screams, and then puts her thumb in her mouth and waits for us to come. And there's something beautiful and cute about that, right? But what about for you and I? Are we to just remain in the darkness, standing up, crying, sitting there waiting, Father, when will you come? When is the second coming? This despair of what we're going through, what our family's experiencing, this is too much. Or might there be something more that God might have for us in this season before he comes again? Might there be light? Because the text promised, and it said That the light came. The light came to those who were in darkness. And the question then is posed to you, are we also those who were in darkness? Or was it just for them back there 2,000 years ago? Editor of the Adventist Review, Bill Knott, in his blog called Grace Notes, wrote the following as he contextualized it for us of that very text from this morning in Isaiah 9. And he said this, we were the people sitting in darkness, and on us a light has dawned. We were those aching for deliverance from ourselves, from our stuff, from our sin, from our sadness and darkness. We too are those like them. And so then you ask yourself, God, 2020, that's exciting. There's so much new possibility. But guess what? I've walked through a bunch of dark stuff. My life has not been what I want to really share with these church members. I don't really know who I can share what I'm going through. 
I don't know what darkness you've been through or what darkness might come upon you at some point in your life or what you're presently walking through as one theologian called it, the dark night of the soul. But you see, the beginning of Scripture tells us a beautiful promise. Genesis 1 begins with these words, there was darkness over the void until God spoke and there was light. In the midst of our darkness, when God speaks, there is light. And my friends, he wants to speak in your darkness. He wants to speak in the darkness that will come one day. I don't know if you were feeling a financial burden in 2019. I don't know if you were going through a family chaotic season. I don't know if you were seeing the loss of a relationship. I don't know if you were seeing your career falling from your hands. I don't know if you were struggling academically. I don't know what your darkness was, but I promise you this. When he speaks, the light comes. When he speaks, the darkness flees. When he speaks, new beginnings start. And so I tell you this. Whether you're in your storm, remember this. Every time above those dark clouds, the sun is shining. Whenever you look up and you see the rain just falling, remember the heat is felt above that. When you think the night has come, remember the day is but a morning away. What does David proclaim in Psalms with anthem praise? Psalms 30, verse 5. My favor is for a lifetime. Though weeping may be through the night, joy comes in the morning. God's goodness is here for you. Though you may be experiencing something hard, Jesus wants to be your light. And so the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to let him be your light in 2020? The Apostle John gives us a little bit more to this. In a conversation he overheard Jesus having with the Pharisees, during a unique time period in the Jewish calendar when it was the Feast of the Tabernacles, it was a time period when it was the end of the harvest and the people of God would all kind of funnel to Jerusalem, particularly all the males, and they would live in these kind of tents or tabernacles as they would kind of commemorate their journey through the wilderness and thanking God for where he had led them. But it was also during this time that candles would be lit in the temple and it would just be a beautiful place walking through Jerusalem as in every courtyard candles were lit and there was light everywhere. You got to remember, this was the pre-Tesla, pre-Edison era. This was a big deal. They're walking through everywhere. My goodness. Wow. And it was here that Jesus uttered these words in John chapter 8 and verse 12. If you have your Bible, jump there with me. And he looked and he said to the Pharisees, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me will not be in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow. He's telling them, 
All their preoccupied, preoccupied visual kind of status is they're looking at every candle, every light, everywhere in the darkness. Wow. They're mesmerized. They're gazing everywhere. And he tells them, your gaze is in the wrong place. I'm the light. I don't know how many of you have been relying upon various gazes in the wrong direction to bring you hope and light. We think our fame on social media might help. We think our titles behind our names might help. We think the bank account stacked will help. The car, the potential purchase of some new investment. We think getting that academic degree, getting married, finding a new relationship. We think potentially finding a love romance. That will solve things. That will help me. That will establish me. That's where my gaze is. But Jesus looks at you and me and he says, I am the hope your heart has been yearning for. I am the light. I am the one who will bring peace, joy, wholeness to your brokenness. I am the one. You're gazing in the wrong direction. Because guess what? I'm talking to a young man who experienced a horrible encounter. I'm talking with a young woman who's just been going through a season of despair. I'm talking to an older gentleman who thought everything he'd hoped for as a young man would come true. But things don't work out that way, do they? Life's a little more complex. And so what do we do? What does life look like for us? Unfortunately, we're pretty stubborn people. Very stubborn, I'd like to say. John tells us in the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The darkness came, but the darkness didn't comprehend the light. There are certain places in my life sometimes I just, I just don't want God to shine into. I'd, I'd actually like to keep that area to myself. Recently, we installed dimmer switches in our house. You know, you kind of want to have a little bit of a set mood for some, you know, little cozier romantic evening. Amen. That's right. That's right. That's right, brother. You know what I'm talking about. And you lower the lights a little bit. And you kind of lower things. It's, oh, wow, this is nice. You know, you kind of don't see everything. It's a little bit shadowed, but it's, it's nice. But you see, we do that with our walk with God. He comes into our life and he says, I want to bring brightness to your life. I want to bring hope and healing and promise. Why do you keep dimming the light on my power in your life? Why do you keep dimming that place which I want you to heal and restore from? Why do you keep saying, turn off the lights, God? I don't want to forgive her. God, turn the light down. It's too much. That sin, that's for me. God, don't go into that room. Don't enter there. I don't need your holiness here. But Jesus says, John 10, 10, I say it all the time. He came that you might have life, but not just life, but that you might have life abundant. Christ has come that we might live a life that is full. He wants to see those things that you yearn for all of your life come to fruition. He does. But you got to do it His way. There's three powerful realities that emerge from this text in Isaiah and the one in John. 
The first one is this. Don't think your present darkness is the final sentence of your story. Bernie Madoff, in the most kind of horrible Ponzi scheme of our century, of all time, robbed people of all, uh, nations and individuals of over $50 billion. His family, unable to cope with it, one of his sons couldn't look beyond the present circumstance of shame and guilt and committed suicide. He couldn't see that this horrible thing wouldn't pass in some way. A.W. Tozer, theologian, he writes a beautiful promise in the same vein that I want to share with you. He says, if we are to gaze into the face of God, we must look beyond our present circumstances. If we're going to see blessing, you have to realize, hey, you got to look through this hard time because something else more beautiful will come. It will. Give it some time. Second reality is this. We must be seekers of the light. As I start 2020, I tell you, that is my heart's desire. I want to seek the light. And then when you find it, follow it. Follow the light. Ellen White, in her devotional classic on the life of Jesus, Desire of Ages, writes of that time period when Jesus was being born. I want to read just a little quote to you. She writes, While the light of truth seemed to have departed from among men, there were souls who were looking for light and who were filled with perplexity and sorrow. They were thirsting for a knowledge of the living God and for some assurance of a life beyond the grave. My friends, there is something beautiful beyond your darkness. It's founded in Jesus. And when you find it, when you seek for it, you will be whole. It will not be easy. And it will not be a bright journey all the time. But it will be much better than what we have to hold on to. The third reality is this. When you find the light, be the light in the darkness for someone else. That is so important. You see, the thing is, you have not been given the blessing of the Holy Spirit in your life just to hold it for yourself. This isn't like when you're a little kid and you've got a bunch of crackers you don't want to share. This is a season in your life when you need to abundantly give. Give what God has given you. Be the light in the darkness. And I know some of us, man, we struggle with the ability to actually be able to say, hey, I know enough about the Bible that I can show someone truth and, and help them in their time of, of sorrow and struggle. But guess what? People don't care how much you know. People don't care how educated you are, how much you got in your bank account, what you have to offer them if it's not Jesus. They just need whatever you've got about him and share that. They don't care about your excuses. They care about the light you can hold up that will lead them out of bondage. It might be someone in your workplace. It might be a significant other. It might be someone sitting near you in this church. It might be a person across the country. It might be some darkness that you recognize you can alleviate. But there is a light that you can bring that will bless people. 
I come from a war-torn nation of former Yugoslavia. In the early 1990s, my country just blew up. Serbs fighting against Croats, Bosnian Muslims fighting against Serbs, Catholics in Croatia. I mean, it was chaos. This was the bastion of peace in Europe. This was a place where people looked to and said, this, this is a place to remember. Look, there are Jews here. There are Muslims. There are Orthodox Christians. Look at them all living in peace. But it erupted in chaos. My uncle was fortunate enough to be a pastor in that region. He helped with the ADRA organization. Some of you maybe don't know what ADRA is. It's the Adventist Development Relief Agency. Ralph Watts, a former president, is actually here in our congregation as a member, and he told me the story of how he likewise was there during the chaos. My uncle, who was that regional director, would help with Ralph. They literally were the post office for the city during the war. They brought packages all over to everyone. didn't matter if they were Muslim or Orthodox or Jew. They were there for peace, to bring light. In the midst of that place, there was one man. He was not educated. He didn't know how to speak very well. He didn't know politics or know anyone with a lot of money. But he did know how to play an instrument. And that he did. He played for 22 days a piece by Albonini, Andiagio in fifth major. And he played it for 22 days, signifying the 22 people that were standing for food that were killed by a mortar shell. And he played as snipers went by. He played as military men tried to chase him off the streets. He played in the burned out, bombed out library. He played at funerals, but he played what he could. Vedran played what he knew he could do. God is calling each of you to play what you can to bring light into the darkness.